So if you would, uh, we're continuing our James series. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of James. There are some on the back of the seats. It's towards the end of your Bible. We're going to be in James chapter 4, um, and then we're going to move into the first half of chapter 5 um, um, this week. And so maybe some of you uh, have done the James challenge. Has anybody done the James challenge in the room? Okay, a couple people. That's awesome. So the James challenge at the, at the first week, I challenged everybody to read through the book of James once a week for the entirety of the series. So if you've been doing that, you've now read through James, I think this would have been the fifth week, which is awesome. There's five chapters, so it's a chapter a day for five days. Okay, that's doable. We can do this together, okay? But what I love about James is it's so practical. It's very much, here's what you need to do. You can take this and immediately apply it to your life. And this was written by Jesus's half-brother, who didn't even believe Jesus was the Son of God until he watched Jesus be crucified on a cross, put in a grave, and then Jesus appeared to him days later. And James was like, oh, okay, you really are the Son of God. So that's who's writing this. And James has talked about so far, he's talked about how our words matter. What we say is important. He's talked about how our actions and our words come from what's in our heart. He's also talked about how as followers of Jesus, as people in general, we're going to experience hard times. There will be hard times that we go through, but if we are following Jesus, we have an opportunity to grow in those hard times. And then last week, we got to hear an awesome word from our lead pastor, Sean, on how when we need wisdom in our life, we need to draw near to God. And in everything that James has said so far, it comes back to one word. It comes back to a key principle. And that's summed up in chapter 4, verse 10. James says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves before the Lord. See, everything that James has said so far, it starts when we have a humble heart. James has laid out the roadmap. He said, here's the map, okay? Follow this path, and you'll be okay. It's not going to be easy. There will be trials. Things will be hard. But you'll be okay. But here's the thing, we're human beings. We're human beings that have free will. God's given us the choice in all of this. And James even says in chapter 1, verse 22, don't just listen to God's word, but do it. J James is saying, listen, you do have a choice in all of this. There, there is a path that leads to being blessed by God where we humble ourselves and he will lift us up. But... There's also a path that doesn't lead to blessing. A path where we think we know what's best. A path where we create our own guidelines, our own rules. A, a path where there's no such thing as absolute truth except for what my truth is. There's only what I want. And it reminds me of uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I can't believe I'm telling this story to a church. So I, when I was a sophomore in high school... Uh, my family decided we we're going to go to Guatemala um, to help with one of uh, our church's 
uh, partners there. And so it was going to be me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. Okay, so we were super excited. Uh, we were going to leave at 4 a.m. because I'm from the north boonies of Maine, and it takes seven hours to get to Boston. Um, and so we're leaving at 4 a.m., going to get our flight. So uh, now being a sophomore boy, I'm like, I really want to see my friends before I leave. I have to. Mom, Dad, this might be it. I have to go see my friends. And they were having, you know, a party, so I was like, I I'm going to go see them. My parents, being wise, said, Brandon, your curfew is midnight. No shot because you won't have enough sleep. Like, you you'll maybe sleep three hours, so we're not going to let you go. Now, I did not like that. And so what I decided was I'm going to take my mom's van key I'm going to sneak out my brother's window onto my roof, hop down onto my deck, go over, and give my van, my mom's van, not my van, my mom's van, a little push because we had a sloped driveway. And I'm an engineering mastermind. So just down the, and then I'll start it on the way down. My parents will never hear it start, right? It's pretty smart for 10th grade boy, except it wasn't. And so I gave it a little push ran down to the end of the driveway, and I look, and there's a car coming. So I'm like, okay, I'll wait. I won't, you know, I won't, just a little push, so I'll, I'll leave it. But the van was already rolling down the driveway. And so I ran up, and thinking that I'm, you know, invincible as a 10th grade boy, I slam into it in the front. I'm trying to hold it. It's doing nothing, right? And so it's rolling and rolling, and the geometry in my head is clicking of this car is coming and I'm going to hit it. And as the car gets closer, as I'm pushing and looking to my left at this car, I realize it's no ordinary car. It's a police car. And so luckily the van, my mom's van, rolls past and, and almost slams into the curb just as the car drives by. And I hop in and I hit the e-brake, and I sit there, and the cop car pulls off and flicks on his blues. And I, I get out of the car, and the cop says, all right. He thinks I'm robbing my house, by the way. He says, if this is really your house, you're going to go wake your parents up. And in my mind, I'm like, just take me to jail. <laughs> like, I'm good. I'll sit in the clink for a night. That sounds better than waking up my family. But sure enough, he made me wake my parents up, and I called my dad. Hey, come outside, and hung up. <laughs> and my dad's a big dude. He's 6'2", 6'3", you know, Mainer. And he walks out the front door with flannel pajamas, no shirt, and he looks at the cop car, and he looks at me, and he does one of these and crosses, and I just knew that was it. Like, I'm surprised I'm standing here on this stage today. See, I thought I knew best, but if I had just done what my parents had said, I would have been in a good place. Guatemala would have gone a lot better if I had just listened, if I had just said, no, 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 mom and dad, I know you set these guidelines, but those are for my siblings. Those aren't for me. If I had listened, it would have caused me a lot less pain. I thought I knew what was best. I thought it applied to everyone else except for me. And, and what we've talked about so far in James, this isn't so you can hold the standard up to other people and say, see, you're not living up to it. This applies to you. It doesn't 
apply to me. James is writing all of this so that you can assess your own life and not your neighbor's. That's why James has written all of this. And with that, we're going to dive into James chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. And this is what he says. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you or not. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? See, James is saying, you're playing God. Stop. You're saying this doesn't apply to me. It applies to everyone else. And when we take humility out of the picture, when we take humility out of the picture and start to think of ourselves highly or as better than someone else, there are three lies that James tells us we have to avoid believing. And the first one is this, I am the judge of others. Well, at least I'm not like them. If you only knew what they were doing, or maybe even... During one of the, maybe the teaching when we were talking about our words matter, you nudged your friend and you were like, are you listening? This is for you. Maybe you reposted a quote on your Facebook and said, hey, everybody, you need to make sure you're doing this. Meanwhile, you're not even doing it yourself. See, humility remembers that we're all sinners, that we have all disobeyed God and been selfish towards others and fallen short of God's glory. But God, which is how so many great promises start in the Bible, but God in his unending grace and love for us sent Jesus to die on a cross and to be raised again to life three days later to pay for all of the mistakes that we would make even when we were as far away from Jesus as possible. Does that sound like I'm in a place to judge? That's what James is saying in verse 12. God alone, who gave the law, can be the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have or I have to judge our neighbors? And see, pride, pride is scared to look in the mirror because of what it might see. And so pride turns the mirror around. But humility wakes up every morning and looks in that mirror to find ways that we can grow. That's a humble heart. So if that's what followers of Jesus are supposed to look like, why does the church, and I'm not talking about Grace Church in West Bridgewater, I'm talking about the church as a whole, Why is the one word that is used to describe the church so often judgmental? Why why would our neighbors, why would so many of our friends, why would so much of the world, when they think of the church, why do they think of the word judgmental? There might even be people in this room that before you came to Grace Church, you were nervous walking into our doors because it's a church. I'm going to be judged. And then you walked into Grace Church and you're like, okay, this place is different. 
Why is that a word that is associated with the church? In, in verse 11, this speak evil, James says, don't speak evil. That speak evil translates in the ancient Greek to a word called katalalia. And katalalia is a sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information which destroys the good name of those that are not there to defend themselves. Isn't that how so many people would describe the church? We've strayed so far from what Jesus taught. See, Jesus modeled what this should look like in John chapter 8 with a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders, they drag her before Jesus to test him. And they throw this woman at Jesus' feet because they knew that the religious law required any woman that was caught in adultery to be stoned to death. And so they throw her at Jesus' feet and they're like, what should we do with her? And listen to how Jesus responds. He says, all right, but let the person among you that's never sinned throw the first stone. And the Bible says that all the religious leaders walked away. And Jesus looks at this woman and he said, where did those that condemn you, where did they go? And she says, they all left. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus didn't judge this woman. What Jesus did instead was Jesus corrected her from a place of humility, love, and gentleness. And we should all do the same. When we see a follower of Jesus that might not be living the way that they should be, instead of judging them, we should look to correct them in a posture of humility and love. And here's the thing. I want to emphasize this because this is really important. This is only if you see a follower of Jesus that's not following Jesus. I'm not talking about you see your friend that has not gone all in on God and you're like, hey, you should be living how the Bible says. They're not on the team. They're not held to the same rules that we are if we're following Jesus. This is how Jesus loved people. Jesus, Galatians 6.1, this is exactly what Jesus did. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you that are following Jesus, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Tempted to do what? Tempted to become judge, jury, and executioner. Tempted to think that you're better. The religious leaders, they had this wrong. They were coming from a place of judgment and not correction. And the difference is judgment gets to say what you are without being responsible for who you are. The religious leaders grabbed this woman and said, you are an adulterer. That is what you are. And what Jesus did was he took responsibi responsibility for who she was and said, go and sin no more. Jesus wasn't going to let her stay 
stuck because Jesus knew who she was, that she was a daughter of God, that she was a child of God, that she was somebody that was created in God's image. Jesus, instead of being her judge, Jesus became her advocate. And I know we might even have some people in this room that that's your full-time job is you're actually an advocate for others. And advocates are people that aren't just there in the good times. They fight on somebody's behalf when things are good when things are bad they're with that person on the journey they're with that person through thick and thin guys we are not supposed to be judges we are supposed to be advocates that is our job what if our church what if the big church became a bunch of advocates how different would our world look how different would our country look How different would the church be described? How different were your communities and your families and your friendships? How would they look different? But to shift our mindset from judge to advocate, there has to be transparency, there has to be love, there has to be gentleness, and above all else, there has to be humility. Because without those, we can find ourselves believing lie number two, and that is, I am the boss of my life. I'm the boss. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. James goes on. He says, look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, We will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Has anybody seen uh, the movie Captain Phillips? Anybody seen Captain Phillips? Okay. So Captain Phillips, fantastic movie. Um, it's It's a true story based on the life of Captain Richard Phillips, who I just found a lady uh, at our last service, actually knew him, pretty wild. Um, but this guy's played by Tom Hanks, okay? That's, the, that's all the reason you need to see it, all right? It's Tom Hanks. Love that guy. So he, he was the captain of this cargo ship, and in 2009, his cargo ship was taken over by Somali pirates, um, completely hijacked. And it was the first cargo, United States cargo ship for that to happen in over 200 years. And so the movie follows... That, that circumstance, and there's a famous line in the movie where the Somali um, pirates-like leader gets up and gets in Captain Phillips' face, and he looks at him, and he says, look at me. I'm the captain now. Look at me. I'm the captain now. And James is saying right here, when you let pride run your life, oftentimes, We're looking at God and we're saying, God, I'm the captain now. When it comes to my finances, God, I'm the captain. When it comes to what I say and what I do, I'm the captain. When it comes to how I treat other people, God, I'm the captain. When it comes to my my sex life or, or sexual identity, God, listen, I'm the captain now. 
I might hear what God is saying at, at church, or I might even be in a life group and meeting with other people that are following Jesus, and I hear what I should be doing, but at the end of the day, I'm the boss. This is my story. And here's how James would respond. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Or, or you're fooling yourself. <laughs> you're fooling yourself. You're not really following Jesus. He also says, if you know what you should be doing and you're not doing it, you're missing it. If we really want to be blunt about it, when we let pride enter our lives and we think we know best, we look at God and we say, I, I know better than you. I know you created the universe and knit me together in my mother's womb, but God, I think I got it. It's like when I snuck out of my house as a high schooler. I was telling my parents, that's great, mom and dad, great rules, but I know best. And at the root of that statement, we find a lot of pride. And we forget what the Bible tells us in Job chapter 14, verse 5. It says, you have decided the length of our lives. God has decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Psalm 139, 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That sounds like a God that's got a plan. That sounds like a God that's in control, that might know a little better than I do. So we can all plan all we want for our future, but Proverbs 69 says we can make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. I love the, the theologian Charles Spurgeon says it this way. There are two great certainties about things that shall come to pass. One is that God knows. And the other is, we don't know. So I, I know some of you that are real big planners in the room, you're probably like, do I delete my calendar app? Like, what? Do I take everything off my to-do list? Like, what, what do I do now? Is James saying I can't plan? That's not what James is saying. James is saying that we need a filter on every decision. Because every decision is a spiritual decision in some way or another. And we need to be asking the question with this filter, what does God want me to do? That's a life, when we ask that question, that's a life that's planned from a dependence on God rather than an independence from God. We need to con condition ourselves to... That in our life decisions, we're stepping back and we're saying, before I do this big thing, before I plan this next step, I need God to lead. And when you start to do that, a life that's, that, that God is leading will bring you places you never expected. Isaiah says that your ways are, are greater than my ways. Your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. God will bring us places we never imagined. I think about one of our uh, student ministry volunteers. Her name's Jess Sweers. And never in a million years did she thought she'd be serving in student ministry. 
But on a trip with our church to Guatemala, she hung out with students and God put a burden on her heart to help teenage girls find and follow Jesus. And when she came back, she hopped into our student ministry. I think about uh, one of our young adults. Her name's Allie Meandro, who was born and raised in Austin, Texas. And she came up here and did an internship with our kids' ministry. And while she was here, God put a burden on her heart for the people of New England to help more people in New England know and follow Jesus. So when she went back and finished her school, she said, when I graduate, I'm moving up to New England to help Grace Church in West Bridgewater help more people know and follow Jesus. So she left comfort and family and friends behind to do that. I think of two high school students that showed up to, last December, walked up to me when we were doing a big thing with our Hope Project that you guys just saw. They walked up to me with a check in each of their hands, and they said, Brandon, God told us we feel led by God to give the Hope Project and people we will never meet in our lives half of our entire bank account. Those are decisions that are made in humility. Those are lives that are being lived through the filter that says, God, whatever you want me to do next, I'm all in. That's all I want. But we can't stop there because there's one more lie that pride will try to convince us is true. And that final lie is this, I am the master of my kingdom. And for this one, we're going to turn to James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. <laughs> and James doesn't pull any punches with this one. Look here, you rich people. <laughs> Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless the very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen here, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those, har of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You've spent your years... And this is, this is the key verse. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. And before we talk about that anymore, I want to make a quick distinction. See, the difference between master of your kingdom and boss of my life. See, the boss of my life in James chapter 4, we're talking about decisions, scheduling, planning. And now James in chapter 5 moves on to resources and wealth. And I'm sure some of you, <laughs> some of you in the room, as soon as you heard, look here, you rich people, you went, that's not for me, Brandon. That might be for Jeff Bezos. He's flying a space and rocket ships, but that's not for me. This sermon's for him. Well, I, I want to share a stat with you. 
This is found on ourworldanddata.com, and they did a study, and this is what they found. That if you make more than 150 bucks a week, you are in the top 15% in the world. $600 a month, you're in the top 15% in the world. That means if you're in the top 15%, you have more money than 6 billion people on this planet. And when I read that, I was like, okay, this is for me. If that's the definition we're going by, if we're going by this, then yes, I'm rich. James is telling the people here, listen, you're so busy building your own kingdom, you've stopped building God's kingdom. Verse 5, you've spent your years on earth satisfying your every desire. So what James is, James, here's what James is not saying. James is not saying that money is the bad thing. James is saying it's the self-indulgence that's killing you. And as the great philosopher Tyler Durden said in the movie Fight Club, you buy furniture. You tell yourself, this is the last sofa I will ever need in my life. You buy the sofa. And then for a couple years, you're satisfied that no matter what goes wrong, at least you've got your sofa issue handled. Then you buy the right set of dishes, then the perfect bed, then the drapes, then the rug. And then you're trapped in your lovely nest, and the things you used to own, now they own you. James is telling these people, listen, pride has made its way onto the scene and you're forgetting where all of this comes from in the first place. Yes, you got the promotion. Yes, you got the raise. Yes, you got another vacation house and, and a new car. All of those things are, are great. But at the same time, while doing those things, you've stopped building the kingdom of God. And you've said, God, my kingdom right now is the priority. And we forget what Matthew, where, where Je what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So I know that you've been nervous to give God your first fruits, your 10%, what the Bible calls a tithe. I know you've been nervous to do that because you think, God, you don't know our finances. This is going to be really hard. And in doing so, you're forgetting this promise that God gives us in Matthew 6, 33, that he will give you everything you need. God, I know that you have blessed me with an incredible vacation house on the beach that, that I know I should be letting other people come and stay at. But God, I, I just I want this for my family. And in doing so, we're missing this seek the kingdom of God above all else. When we're seeking the kingdom of God and we view money as a tool and resources as a tool rather than an object, he will supply all of our needs. He's blessed you to be a blessing to others. But what does that take? It takes humility. It takes coming to grips with the fact that all of this is from God. 
Humility asks God what you want. What do you want me to do with my money? Humility asks what do you want me to do with my resources? God, how can I bless others the way that you've blessed me? So to live this way as an advocate, to, to live this way where we, before making big planning decisions, we say, God, what do you want me to do next? God, what do you want me to do with my money? To live this way, it takes surrendering our lives to Jesus and living the way that he did. There was no better example of what it looks like to live a humble life than Jesus. In Philippians 2, we see the perfect example of his humility, that Jesus surrendered his life, that he left heaven, came to earth, humbled himself, knowing that he was going to be nailed to a cross, beaten, bruised, and buried in a grave, and that he would rise three days later also that we could be with him. And this morning, he wants you to stop fighting. He wants you to stop being the judge. He wants you to stop being the master and the boss and instead surrender it all to him. And you can do that. You can do that this morning right there in your seat. The Bible says that anytime, anywhere, anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that right now. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Your life might not get easier. Things still might be hard. But you will have hope and joy and peace and grace that is everlasting. And your life will be changed forever. Maybe this morning, big thing for you is you've, you've been judging other people. And that's something you've been struggling with. Well, maybe your next step is to seek reconciliation with that person. It's to ask for forgiveness. Even if they don't know you've been judging them. And instead of being a judge to move into a position of advocacy for others, just like Jesus did. Maybe you've been making moves, you've been wheeling and dealing in your life with God in the backseat. And maybe your next step is to create a checkpoint where before you make a big decision, you stop and you pray. Before you make a big decision, you find one to two to three other people in your life that can speak godly wisdom into your life. Or maybe, and this is the hardest one for me, is you just stop and you listen for God's voice. You don't talk, you stop and you listen. Maybe you, um, the, the last thing is maybe God's asking you to just rearrange your finances or your resources to become more generous and less indulgent. Maybe that's your next step. Whatever it is, like James says, don't be hearers of God word, God's word and not doers, or you're just fooling yourself. See, a life lived in humility brings a lot of freedom. It takes all the pressure off of us. Because our hope and our trust is completely in Jesus. And he has never let me down. He'll never let you down for the rest of our lives. So let's all strive to be more humble in everything that we say and do. Let's pray together.
God, you are so good to us, and we just want to stop and thank you. We thank you, God, for just another day of life. Yeah, we have the opportunity to sit here at Grace Church in West Bridgewater, God, and, and hear your word. God, I pray for the people in this room that this morning, maybe they went all in for the first time. They said, God, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm ready to give it to you. If that's somebody in this room, God, I pray that you continue to work in their hearts, God, that they tell somebody about it. God, I thank you for the example that Jesus was to us of what it looks like to live a humble life in every area. God, we pray that as we leave this place, God, we would be able to put your word into action. We love you, God. We praise you. We thank you again for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.